Happy Independence Day! We are so glad that you're with us today for today's worship service. Whether you are up north, maybe with family or friends, and checking in a little bit later, or maybe even in, in uh, real time, or whether you're at home, social distancing and, and being safe there, we're so glad that you're here. Even if you're someplace else in another part of the country, one of the people that, that join us for, uh, for worship at North Point, we're, we are glad that you're here. Before we get started, we would love to know who's watching and who's with us for worship this morning. So if you can, if you're a regular at North Point, go ahead and take out the North Point app. That's right. Take it out right now. Go find your phone. Uh, do that. Open up the North Point app and go to the Let's Connect tab just as soon as you open it. Click on that and uh, fill out your information. That would be great. Uh, you can check uh, the online service and we'll know that that's when you were worshiping with us. That's really, really helpful to us. So if you can do that, that would be great. If you're maybe here for the first time or not a regular at North Point, if you text 94090, that's 94090, and in your message put guest NCC without a space, guest NCC, that will take you immediately to the place that, that you can let us know that you're here as well. We would love to send you a note. We would love to thank you for uh, being a part of our service. And we would love to know that you're with us just so that we can know who God is having us minister to. Um, we're ready to worship. So uh, wherever you are, sing out loud. Let God's word speak to your heart and turn and follow him. Here we go.
Hey, North Point, good morning. Uh, glad to be with you digitally. Uh, I'm coming to you from a very cool space that we have down in our Student Life Center that's designed for families on Sunday mornings who've got kids, uh, you pick the age, uh, that might have a hard time sitting still in an auditorium, might have a lot more fun down here while we're simulcasting the live service downstairs. So parents, you're watching and families are getting to play. There's just some cool stuff down here. It's called our family-friendly space. Man, we'd love to see you here on a Sunday morning down in this space. Gives me opportunity, too, to talk about uh, July 19th is a Sunday, and that's when our kids' world and Timbertown start back up full. All kinds of great practices that we have uh, with some sanitation and social distancing, all kinds of good stuff. You'll get more emails on that from our family life guy, Jake Howard, but just wanted to give you that heads up as well. Lots of neat things that are coming uh, in the next couple of months at North Point stuff that you can register for now. One of those is Global Leader Summit. We've talked about that a number of times, and this is really your week to jump on, register for that leadership training. All of us have influence somewhere, and all of us function as leaders, whether it's in the home, in the workplace, wherever it might be. GLS is a fantastic two-day event uh, that really helps hone in on some of the most important key leadership principles from some of the best in the business, and North Point gets a great discount for that. You can check out more of those de deals online on our website and, uh, and check that out. Also, we've got uh, a number of groups starting up. This coming week, we have uh, a group on Wednesday nights starting called Battling Fear in the Age of COVID, and uh, I'll be leading that four weeks. We really just want to process this COVID experience and begin to think through what fear does to us and how we as Christ followers really want to step up to the plate in that and be leaders in that area of mitigating fear. It's not something that we have to deal with as Christ followers. We got to deal with it, but we don't have to be controlled by it. So that's called uh, Battling Fear in the Age of COVID. You can register online or on the app. And then three groups starting in September. Uh, grief Share for folks who have experienced the loss of a loved one sometime in the past. Uh, divorce Care for folks who that's part of their journey, as well as Financial Peace University, which is designed to help people um, uh, get out of uh, debt and begin to think just differently about finances so that they can live uh, a lot more free. You can see all the start dates and costs and whatnot for that on the app or uh, online. Uh, or if you're on campus, feel free to drop by the Connect kiosk and they got all that information information for you as well. We want to do something right now. We want to take a minute and do a share in the spiritual practice of giving, uh, offering. And so uh, I know that that's uh, different for us right now because uh, we're not passing a plate, but we would ask if you have not already done so that you would uh, do that online if you can. If you've never done that before right now, you could text 77977, text NCC Give to 77977, and that'll shoot you a link that you can give from there. You can give one time or you can set up a reoccurring gift, and we'd appreciate that. And if you're on campus, certainly you can do the same thing to give. You can text that uh, to NCC Give to 77977, or if you're on campus, you just feel free to hit those offering boxes on the way out or on the way in and drop your offering in there. Thanks, North Point. Let's continue on in worship. Today I'm going to share with you the secret to a worry-free and secure life. 
And considering everything that has gone on this year, who wouldn't want to be more worry-free or have more security in their life? Who isn't tired of worrying about the next when something happens or the next if something occurs? See, when you have this thing, when you, when you get it, when you get to hold it, when you shape every single part of your life around it, you are no longer going to have to worry about anything or be afraid of anything or concerned about the unknown that seems to be right around the corner. You'll get to experience true security. And to understand what that secret is, uh, today we're going to look at a guy who only found out this secret because he tried all of the wrong stuff. And when you find what he found, you can be fearless. See, we're working through this uh, Daniel series that we're calling Fearless, and we're looking at this idea of what to do uh, when life is off the tracks, because if we're being honest, this year has been way off the tracks from where we thought we were going. And the first part of Daniel, when we read through it, we see that it's about Daniel, and it's his friends who were taken from their home and made servants under the king's authority. And that they were pushed or forced into this new normal that was different from anything that they had known before. That the culture was different. That the language was different. That their names were even different. And yet in spite of all of that, their God was still the same. And as a result, their faith remained in him. See, this didn't make life easier for Daniel or any of his friends. If you if you paid attention last week, we talked about uh, some of them getting tossed into a fiery furnace, that their identity was taken away. Like I said, new names given to them, that they were ruled by a foreign king and kingdom. But because they trusted in the one true God that exists, they didn't have to be afraid when everything else came off the tracks in their life. They even rose up in influence because of God in their brand new normal. A little bit about this place that Daniel takes. Uh, it's during the, the reign in the kingdom of Babylon. And Babylon was a city at the center of the most powerful nation in the entire world. Legend has it that it even hosted one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It's known for its incredible walls and fortifications that if you were uh, looking at ancient Babylon, you would see that it had this moat that was fed by the Euphrates River that, that surrounded a part of the city to protect it, and that it actually had two layers of fortification, two layers of walls with a gap in between them to try and make it as hard as possible for anybody who was unwanted to try and enter into the cities. In fact, that that outer wall was so thick and so large that it was rumored that a four-horse chariot could actually turn around on top of that wall, that its defenses were secure enough that it seemed like the city was practically unharmable. Nothing could get in. It was a secure place. And within the walls of this city were numerous building projects, including over 50 temples in Babylon alone. The wonder believed to be in, in Babylon uh, was the legendary hanging gardens created by the king uh, for the queen in order to remind her of her homeland. There were grand bridges and, and temple towers built within Babylon. And there was this main roadway inside called Procession Way that was so elaborate it had, it had gl- glazed bricks on the outside of it with statues 
It was just this beautiful pathway that you could go down. The city would flaunt its wealth and was made like any other city in the world, completely rich beyond imagination. And overseeing this great city was a great man himself. It was King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful ruler in the entire world. In fact, he's so famous that he is mentioned in the Bible more times than any other foreign king. And he becomes a central figure, an important character when we read through the Old Testament. And and Nebuchadnezzar is powerful enough that he actually defeats uh, Egypt and Arabia and Syria and Phoenicia. And that his kingdom ruled at this time virtually all. All of the ancient Near East. That Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was so big and so elaborate that if we were to measure it today, we would see uh, that it stretches from modern day Egypt to western Iran and from Syria to Saudi Arabia. And in order to heighten King Nebuchadnezzar's prestige during this time, he wanted to be remembered forever. So in all of his uh, elaborate building projects, he would actually stamp each one of those bricks. And on that stamp would be his name and his title. So that no matter what happened, when kingdoms or people would come later on, they would see his name and remember that Nebuchadnezzar had left a mark on the world. In fact, some of these bricks you can still find and see in museums today. This is the guy who found the secret to a worry-free and secure life. Now you might be thinking, well, yeah, no, duh. If I were rich and powerful and prestigious and well-protected, I would feel fine too. If I had what this king had, I would feel perfectly fine. I would feel secure. I would be worry-free. But the thing is, when we dive here in just a little bit to Daniel 4, we're going to see immediately that none of those things were what Nebuchadnezzar found out to be what holds security and gave him a worry-free life. In fact, Power and prestige and security and riches were all an illusion. And none of it really mattered. So dive with me here. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. We start off this chapter here with kind of this uh, this doxology, or this, this short hymn of praise to who God is. And Nebuchadnezzar himself starts off writing his story in the first-person perspective. And immediately in telling his story, the first thing he does is he begins to praise God. And he wrote this, it's kind of like an official decree is the way that it seems, so that everybody everywhere would know what Nebuchadnezzar thought of Yahweh, thought of the one true God. And he's basically saying, like, guys, like, understand, God is so amazing, like, like nobody else. And that's a huge thing, because Nebuchadnezzar, we know, is polytheistic. In other words, he believes in multiple types of gods, but yet he is saying right here that this one God Man, he is different. He is the God most high. In fact, like, let me, let me tell you what I mean. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar jumps into telling a story of why he believes the way that he does. Man, and I think that's, I think that's a valuable lesson for you and me as well. See, when you want to share with people how amazing God is and the things that God uh, makes a difference for in your life, do what Nebuchadnezzar does. 
Share your story. See, we can debate all day long who the best college team is. We can talk stats and we can talk traditions and wins and losses. But the truth of the matter is nobody can debate the memories that you have of one day going into the Breslin Center and sitting in those seats and seeing some of your favorite players and some of your favorite coaches compete. Guys that you grew up watching. Guys that you cared about, guys that just changed the game and the view for you. That for you, man, they became the best in your eyes. Maybe not my eyes, but for you, man, they were the best because that's your story. That's what you experience. That's what you have. It's your story and it cannot be debated. And so Nebuchadnezzar goes on here to share his story. And he says this, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. In other words, hey, life is good. And I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. See, this all-powerful king uh, has, has a second dream. We know from earlier in Daniel that he had another dream before this, but he has another dream here, and this dream shook him. This dream made him worry. This dream gave him great fear. And so what he does is he gathers together the best and the brightest that he knows to figure out, man, what is going on? Why am I having this dream? Because at this time, man, dreams were viewed as kind of a shadow of future things to come. And if Nebuchadnezzar, his ruler, could get an idea of what the future held, man, he could avoid any calamity or or any downfalls or bad decisions, and he could actually do the right thing to, to increase his prosperity, increase him as king, increase the nation here. See, don't we all wish we could go back to like Christmas of last year and just give ourselves a shadow of what to come? Like just tell ourselves like, hey, get ready. It's going to be unlike anything before. Like here it comes. Like just a shadow to know what was about to come. But just like we can't do that, none of Nebuchadnezzar's guys could help him here either. So verse 8 says this. It says, at last Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. So Daniel shows up again to help the king. And what's interesting is that Nebuchadnezzar still calls Daniel by his Babylonian name, uh, Belshazzar. That if we, if we kind of break down the meaning here, it's just kind of a, a tip of the cap to a Babylonian god to protect the Babylonian king when you break it apart. But Nebuchadnezzar even admits in this time that there's a connection between Daniel and an even higher god than what he worships. Verse 10, uh, he goes on to tell his, his dream. He says, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. 
I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decisions by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. See, as we look at this dream uh, from King Nebuchadnezzar here, he has this image of, of a cosmic tree. And this is kind of a common imagery that uh, was used at this time period that pointed after a ruler who was the keeper of the cosmos. Someone who was viewed as the image of God. Somebody who would be looked at as the perfect man. And under their rule, man, everything was good. This was a tree that had good fruit. In other words, they were rich. Animals and birds found protection. There was security in their rule. They reached high in the sky and was visible to the whole earth. And they were prestigious amongst all the land. They grew strong and was powerful. They had great power throughout all. And this order comes to cut down this tree. And it loses its fruit and its height and its power and prestige and riches and security except the stump and its roots were not destroyed, but instead they become shackled. And the imagery then moves from that of a tree to that of a beast or a wild animal roaming about the field for seven periods of time. And seven periods of time may have meant seven years, uh, but the number seven was significant to show kind of a completed amount of time here. And this crazy dream is what Nebuchadnezzar gives to Daniel so that he can find out what is it that he needs to do next as a ruler. Because this crazy dream absolutely shook him to his core. See, have you ever been shook like this? Like like something occurs in your life that man, it just has you consumed with what the future may hold. Like a worldwide pandemic economic downfall, a cancer diagnosis, job loss, broken marriage. See, we we find ourselves desperately trying to find a way to avoid calamity in our lives and instead find a way to find prosperous future for us, that we want security in our job or our finances, that we want to find ways to get a clean bill of health. We want to find ways to save our marriages And it can be terrifying when we don't know what's on the other end. We get why Nebuchadnezzar would call anybody and everybody that he could looking for help and for answers. His closest advisors left him with nothing. 
And now he's here hoping that Daniel can show up one more time and give him some answers because not having answers, not knowing what's next, man, can create incredible amounts of fear inside of us. A fear that that can cripple us. And the news that Nebuchadnezzar gets was probably not what he wanted to hear. Verse 19 says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. See, Daniel in this moment does not want to become the bearer of bad news. That Daniel sees what's coming on the horizon and he just doesn't want it. And on some level, when I think of that, man, that, that's like crazy to think about because Daniel has bad news for the guy who enslaved him, for the guy that destroyed his home, for the guy that changed his entire world. In some level, you would think Daniel would be excited to say, hey, guess what, king? Your time's coming. What you did to me is now coming back your way. But that is not the attitude that Daniel has. Daniel comes back with a much more respectful reply. And I think Daniel shows that respect because Daniel knew that his faith and his trust were not in this king. That they were not in Daniel's present situation. That they weren't in the past things that had happened to him. But instead, they were in the God that he trusted. Daniel could actually care for those that oppressed him because he trusted a God that was bigger than his current situation, that was bigger than his oppressors, that was bigger than any oppression he may have felt. So Daniel gives, gives the meaning here. He says, in verse, starting in verse 20, he says, The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave a stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over. This is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the fields. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And it was as, and as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So this rich, powerful, prestigious, secure king is told by Daniel that all of it is about to come crashing down. 
that Nebuchadnezzar is about to lose all that he has worked for, all that he has valued, all that he has placed his identity in, because Nebuchadnezzar was foolish enough to believe that being the biggest, the best, the richest, the most powerful and influential person on the planet meant that he was safe. See, the truth is you can never have enough money, enough health, enough connections, enough education, or enough influence to be completely safe in this world. Markets fail. Health fails. Relationships fail. Employment fails. It's the reality of living in a broken world. And we've all felt that in some capacity this year. We've all been stretched or pushed, or afraid, or unsure, because something that we thought was solid in our life turned out to be shakier than we were comfortable with. And we would give just about anything to go back to being worry-free or in a more secure place than we feel right now. Nebuchadnezzar is given this dream as a warning. And he has a choice to make. Where does he place his trust? Daniel says one more thing in verse 27. He says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. If Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king in the most powerful nation with the most amazing building projects and more money and influence than anybody in the entire world would have enough humility to realize the secret that we talked about earlier, then he could avoid the pain that is about to come his way. See, when I read this, there are two things that really stick out and just just blow me away here. And the first one is simply this. It's that God cares for everyone. That no matter how far they may seem from him, God still cares. I mean, stop and think here. This is a king who had conquered God's chosen people, who had destroyed God's temple, who demanded to be worshipped by the masses and serves whatever God fulfills his need at the time. And yet the one true God still reaches out to bring Nebuchadnezzar back to himself. And that same God is the one who sent Jesus to take our penalty and our place so that he could redeem us back to himself. And when I think about the kind of love that that shows in the face of rejection, I become speechless. I think the second thing that blows me away here is to think about the fact that Daniel cares enough in this moment to say something. That he didn't just leave Nebuchadnezzar with the bad news. Hey, king, things are going to get really rough. Sorry, see you later, right? But Daniel cares enough in this moment that instead he seeks a way that the king can avoid pain and instead find prosperity. And get a Daniel in your life. Get a Daniel in your life. Have friends, have a life group, man, that is going to say something to help you avoid the mistakes in your life and instead make decisions that are going to lead you to a place that is closer to God. We find out what happens in verse 28. It says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. 
At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. See, I, I got to laugh immediately when we jump into this section here in verse 28. They just tell you, and Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. He just ignored it. So we find out that, that a year passes, and, and maybe, maybe Nebuchadnezzar did listen for a while. Maybe he tried to get righteous so that this dream didn't come true, or maybe he just ignored it completely. And in that 12 months, God was patient with him. We, we don't really know. But as Nebuchadnezzar one day is looking over his kingdom, the temples the beautifully decorated streets, the mighty walls, the hanging gardens. Man, he begins to feel secure and pride in his accomplishments. And he again is untouchable. He's a self-made man. He's the perfect man. And his eyes are down on himself and everything that is happening in his world. See, I've had this note that I keep on my computer for a few years now uh, that simply reads this. It says, focus equals direct the eyes and the mind will follow. And this is an incredibly true and powerful reminder that I, I like to keep for myself because whatever has my eyes will always get my mind. Whatever I'm reading all day, whether it be about COVID or the economy or elections or whatever else, my mind begins to become consumed with what I'm looking at. And everything that I see in the world becomes shrouded in a lens of those things. Man, it begins to change my attitude, my perception, my conversations, my view of others, my view of myself. And just like King Nebuchadnezzar here, my eyes are focused on all that is before me in my world. And my mind is consumed with whatever it is that the world is showing me. For Nebuchadnezzar, we see here that he's, uh, he's stricken with mental illness. And he didn't act like a man anymore, certainly not like a king. And it's not that Nebuchadnezzar literally became an animal here, but rather that his mental state drove him to act like a wild animal, that his poor hygiene gave him a wild appearance. And I think the reason that nobody probably messed with Nebuchadnezzar at this time was not only because God had promised to protect his kingdom, but because they believed at this time that mental illness uh, was actually the embodiment of a deity inside of somebody. Here's the thing, when my eyes are focused like Nebuchadnezzar on the security of this world or all that is happening, man, I have the tendency to become beast-like. See, it's easy for us to stop acting uh, like, a, like a man or, or like a genuine person and we begin to act like animals. We become defensive, on edge, ready to, to fight, constantly feeling threatened or, or pushing people away. And I see this every single day on my neighborhood group on my Facebook page. 
the way that people comment or talk to one another. Keyboard warriors who have read uh, way too many articles or seen way too many videos that make them feel like their security or their way of life or comforts are threatened. And I see the result is to behave like an animal and to do whatever we need to do in order to survive. See, we may not have been stricken with mental illness, but our minds can become damaged by fear because our trust was in the security of the stock market or our health or a political agenda or whatever maybe made us feel safe or untouchable for a while. And when we found out that we were never fully safe, we enter into our own beast mode and how we interact with others. Verse 34 says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All of the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. Still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar stops looking at this world, and instead he begins to lift his eyes and he finds the secret. And here's the secret. God alone is sovereign. God alone is sovereign. Nebuchadnezzar explains it in verse 34 and 35, but I think the sovereignty of God, the meaning of that is best explained towards the end of verse 37. Nebuchadnezzar put it this way. He said, for all his works, all of God's works are right. And his ways are just. See, the secret to a secure and worry-free life is to stop trying to control things by recognizing that God's works are right and that his ways are just. See, we may not get it, We may not like it. We may not feel comfortable about it. But nothing in this world can bring you total security and a lack of worry. Money can run out. Your health can fail. Relationships can fall apart. Rules can change. And fear will always try to creep in on you. But God is still in control. That's why Jesus put it this way in Luke 12. He said, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So then what are you afraid of? What have you placed your security in? 
Have you looked at your, your health or your 401k or your legal rights or your job or your social status or whatever else? And you've thought like Nebuchadnezzar, I'm good. I've got this. I've got this. Or maybe you've lost all of those things and you're starting to realize that, man, you really aren't good. That you can't control really anything in this world. And so you find yourself beginning to act like a threatened animal. Recognize today, just like Nebuchadnezzar, the only way to find security and to get rid of the worry that you are experiencing is to look up and to recognize that God is in control. That whatever happens in the economy, uh, in the health, in the world, in the politics, in your job, in your family, or anything else, God is not surprised. Truth is, God saw 2020 coming a long time ago. And yet he rules, he reigns, he controls. And in the end, his works are right. And his ways are just. And we can trust in that. That when we let go, and we trust that God is in control, we no longer have to panic, or be afraid, or be angry, or be threatened. That we can breathe, maybe for the first time in a while. Because we were not meant to hold it all together. We were always meant to trust and to worship the one who does.